Well, hello, and welcome to the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast. I'm your host, Jim Henry. Today's show is brought to you in part by donations from individual listeners and from Club Passim, the premier listening room in the heart of Harvard Square. Find them online at www.clubpassim.org. Together, we've raised about a third of what's needed to keep producing these shows. Please help us reach our goal by going to www.patreon.com slash jimhenry and join the other generous listeners in supporting this podcast. Our guest today is Brooks Williams. Brooks is an extraordinary guitarist, songwriter, and singer. Based in England, he tours continuously and has played thousands of live shows in the UK, Europe, the US, and Canada. He's recorded 22 CDs of his own and six with other artists. Brooks has been ranked one of the top 100 acoustic guitar players, winning praise from Rolling Stone magazine for his deft and tasteful guitar chops. I caught up with Brooks in Connecticut at the beginning of his most recent U.S. tour, where he took time after his show and before flying to the West Coast to talk with me about his unique take on some of the pro tips. So let's say hello to Brooks Williams. So hello, Brooks Williams. Hello, Jim Henry. <laughs> We're coming to you live from the hotel in Avon, Connecticut. So thanks for taking, I, I know it it's, can be a hassle to fit stuff like this in when you're on the road, so thanks for, mm, you're very thanks welcome. for doing that. Before we get started, I'd like to ask people, and let's see if you remember, because I'm not sure I do, do you remember where we met? I seem to remember it being in the early days in Northampton when so many of us were just starting our careers. I believe it was at one of the open mics at the Iron Horse where there were five or six of us. You know how they would sometimes do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and I think it was there, and I had just moved to Northampton. And I, you guys seemed to know each other. Maybe you'd gone to school together or knew each other from bands or right. something. We were all doing our own thing, but we were always doing our own thing in the, roughly the same places because that's what was happening. Right. So I'd always kind of be hip to what was going on. So even though we weren't necessarily playing together all the time, I was aware of who was, who was doing what. I was obviously aware of you because, you know, of your guitar chops. <laughs> I was trying to steal your licks. <laughs> well, right back at you. <laughs> you always note the guitar players in yeah, the room yeah, and yeah. you go, ooh, nice sound. <laughs> I remember there's this great story I'm going to tell you. Yeah. I'm going to tell all your listeners. This is great. We were, we were actually rehearsing for one of your shows and you were trying to show us this song and it may have been Guy DeVito on bass and maybe Doug Plavin on drums or something and mm-hmm. I was there as well. And I remember you put on the CD to play us this groove and then and we were all fidgeting around with our gear and then I thought we were still listening to the CD but you had turned it off and you were playing (laughs) and it was there was no difference the tone was absolutely brilliant I just remember looking going oh my god how does he do that it was absolutely perfect oh that's funny I remember thinking wow that's some great recording and great playing oh yeah you know I yeah I forgot about that I remember yeah I had I I got you to do a yeah, album release. Yeah, yeah. With me. We yeah. did one in Boston, I think. Yeah, and I think one we in... did in North- Northampton. Oh, that's great. Maybe the Iron Horse, I think. Yeah. But today we're here to talk about some pro tips. Yeah, there you go. Uh, was there one in particular, or you, we were talking about floating around? or? Well, the thing that kind of sparked my imagination was the one about serving the song. Mm-hmm. 
which is a great one. But I actually thought of that in a little broader level about serving the gig, how important it is to to get yourself in the space for that gig. And um, I look at, at it really tangibly. When you say the gig, do you mean the performance? Or yeah, you mean yeah. whatever, yeah, like recording? Yeah. Or whatever. Or, yeah. It could be the recording. Whatever the gig is. is, is <laughs> that that becomes the priority. And that there are things that one needs to do to be in the best place to, to do that. And, um, so the preparation. Yeah, the preparation, about, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And owning that preparation, you know, really taking it on board. Like, you know, simple thing, like you go to a gig, whether you're a side person or, or on the, in the front or you're just doing a little cameo, a guest mm-hmm. spot mm-hmm. at a friend's concert or something. Just remember that that audience of people did not come to see you in shorts and flip-flops. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> that's not cool. That may be as fun at somebody's birthday party where you're just right. hanging out, but like, there's, a, there's a certain amount of respect that one brings right. to that moment. And to me, it's all the same mindset, whether it's respecting the song or respecting the singer or the player, and then it's respecting the space, the stage, and respecting the audience. That's, that's kind of a biggie. I found that that was a big uh, change in the way my touring went when I started to really understand that. The audience does not need to know that I just drove eight and a half hours through, <laughs> through hellacious traffic. They do not need to know that. That's of no concern to them. They paid to see a gig, and they want that gig to be a great night out. Some people have hired babysitters, and they've right. spent money. They've wined and dined, right. and they've they've really gone all right. out. No, every and, yeah, I mean, it, everybody has to go through effort, yes. to get to the show. Yeah, that's right, yeah. and that's just that's just a given. How this began to make sense to me was I met about eight or nine years ago. I met a fairly famous actor. I'd never met anybody at that level like international film star. Mm-hmm. And when she was speaking to me about her work, I realized that she approaches it in a way that I admired. You know, I admired her taking on board this respect for the medium. And she would speak to me as if I did that too. And I realized, oh my God, she doesn't have a clue. She doesn't know other musicians, so she wouldn't know. I mean, she knows like famous ones right. who... The, there's no comparison, right. <laughs> like people who play massive, you know, right. Yo-yo you know Ma stadiums, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. There's no comparison, <laughs> but I realized there was something in that work ethic that was beneficial, and I took it on board, and and it's it really helped. It really helped how the how I felt, mm-hmm. how the shows went, how the audience perceived the shows. I feel like all of it comes from that seed of respecting whatever it is, that thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. You know, going in the studio, you're respecting that space. Mm-hmm. You're respecting the engineer, the producer, the person who's hired you. Mm-hmm. That's, that's really, that's very interesting way to look at it. Mm-hmm. As you're talking to me, the words that come to mind are poise mm-hmm. and grace. Poise and grace, and, yeah. and I think I would ascribe those two words to you. We did a gig about a year or yeah. so ago. Yeah. Uh, and I was, really, I was really struck by that. I oh, mean, you, you've been you. touring and playing by yourself for a long, long time. Mm. I think in that time you've really mastered the music, obviously, but also just being on stage and being mm. in the host position. And yeah. yeah, there is a certain, you know, dignity that one should have, mm. you know, yeah. as, as a host. And that's yes. kind of what you are as a yes. performer, you're the host. Yeah. The thing that this uh, actor friend of mine said was, 
Uh, and, and it was the ultimate compliment. I mean, she's probably only come to a few shows, two, two or three. But, but what she said was, I feel safe when you're on stage. And I thought that was such an interesting comment. Like, well, I didn't even know people felt unsafe when I was... I mean, I didn't know there was a contrast to that. Mm-hmm. But I thought about it. And what I realized was the audience doesn't want to have to fill in the gaps. They don't want to have to feel like it's all going to go in the gutter or it's all going <laughs> to chip off the road or something. They just want to enjoy this ride, this beautiful ride. And whether it's the song that carries you along or the singer or the band, at every moment, the in-between chatter, right. the, hey, a string breaks. Like last night in the show, for some reason, the monitor at my feet tipped off the stage and hit the floor <laughs> and and in that you know at the Roenbrook the, the the audience as you remember is very close yeah, it's right there and so i was actually afraid for the people right in front of me right. but um but and it and 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 it was a little shocking and it did frighten me they were fine which was great but um but it did throw me for a, for about a good minute i was i was really kind of off my game and uh but we made a joke of it, and I, you know, everybody was laughing. And but there was a moment it could have. I felt like there was a moment I could have like been really freaked out. But I thought, no, it's fine. The, the sound guy came up. He said, "Oh yeah, it just slipped off here. I'll I'll make that secure." Everybody had a good laugh, and we right back in there. But but it was a little bit disruptive because we were right in a moment, sure. and and of course worried that someone might get bashed by the speaker. Right, you know. So, uh, but I thought it was just this uh, lesson that I chose not to talk about it too much. I said, are, are you okay? Yeah, we're fine. Oh, wow. And, and then I said something like, well, I promised you audience that I didn't kick it off the stage. <laughs> you know, this isn't a rock and roll show. I'm yeah, not right. destroying the place. They had a laugh and then I left it. I right. dropped it because if I kept going with it. I think it would have people would have felt awkward and maybe embarrassed or maybe worried that I was distracted and it was like right. nope just move on right move or, on or quickly. you know or felt like you were you know making fun of the sound guy yes, or right, something right, like that yes right right of course you never want to say anything that's going to be taken the wrong way right. you, you know sometimes you think something's funny in the moment all of us have probably done that and you say something and you go oh my god that was the right. stupidest well, thing it's Why hard to know that? how people are going to take anything yes. that you say yeah. but that you know yeah. this is a very interesting concept of people feeling the audience feeling yes. safe yeah. and that it's yeah. and that it's your responsibility in a yes. way to make yeah. them or help yes. them feel but, safe yeah be the party host right yeah right so yeah. how so in terms of preparation how do you or what would you recommend to someone who's just starting out to how do you would you prepare yourself to be a host there's a couple of things that i do and all of them have made a huge difference so i'll start with the most mundane and then i'll go to the little more complex but okay. the most mundane thing that i do is i have a wardrobe and it's just a, a set of clothes four or five different things but it's what i wear when i gig and I found it helped me to not always be scrambling, scratching my head, thinking about it. I will draw from that wardrobe, and it kind of is like I'm putting on the uniform of the host. Mm-hmm. And so it helps me kind of embody that. Mm-hmm. And here's the other thing, is that I change that wardrobe every year and a half to two years. Like when there's a break, I'll say, right, I want to do something different. I look at fashion magazines. I look at other musicians. I look at what the trends are in clothing. And it's not that I'm like into clothing. It's just I'm looking for something that I can adapt that Mm -hmm. helps me feel 
like me. Mm-hmm. And I'm sort of dressing the part, although I'm the only one that knows that mm-hmm. part, but it kind of helps me know that this is different than when I was just sitting in the car right. texting someone about something right. or doing an email or doing some sort of more administrative business. Mm-hmm. This Now I'm this other person. Mm-hmm. And I know that maybe sounds a little bit weird, but it, no, it helps I think a lot. That, I think a lot of performers yeah. do that. Yeah. It's like getting your game face yeah, on. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Like like if I did makeup, you right. would do your makeup. Right. Yeah, And it just it kind of helps and it's thinking about you know, I actually would look in the mirror, you know. I mean, I actually practice standing in front of the mirror mm-hmm. because I think if people have to look at me for two hours, I should be aware of what they're looking at. Right. <laughs> and it's not because I'm arrogant and I'm thinking, oh, aren't I beautiful? I'm thinking, am I doing something funny with my face or with my mouth or mm-hmm. do I have a weird tick that I'm, you know, what what is it that I'm doing? I want to be sure to present mm-hmm. something that is is okay, is, is is comfortable. Did you or do you practice in front of the mirror? I actually do. Yeah. I actually do. I don't do it endlessly, but right. I but I will take a portion of every practice session playing through a few songs and I stand in front of the mirror just to see, you know, how does how does it how does it look? How does it feel? Mm. How am I holding the guitar? Am I sort of cranking up my shoulder in a weird way or and, and you know, posturally, how is mm-hmm. it looking? And it just helps. It helps me have an image in my head, and I know what that feels like. So when I don't have a mirror and I feel that, then I correct it. Mm-hmm. You know. So well, and that's just good for your body. Well, too. it is great for your body. <laughs> yeah, because year after year and night after night after night, year after year of this, it can take its toll on one's body. Well, definitely. let's uh, let me change directions for just a second. You deliberately practice. I mean, do you sit down and yes, practice on yes. a regular basis? Absolutely. What, I, do you have a like a schedule or something that you do? Uh, or? It, it would be nice if it were that organized, yeah. but <laughs> it kind of depends on where I am in the cycle of of what my year is like. If I've just finished a new recording, it takes me a while to go from from a studio experience into a live experience, mm-hmm. and especially if I'm going to be doing these solo. I will literally practice the repertoire. Plus, I have to learn the lyrics, so I'm right. so I'm memorizing lyric. When I'm not in that mode, one of the things that I like to do is uh, to keep my voice uh, strong. I always try to have five or ten songs that I don't really have any intention on performing, but they're really good for me vocally. Mm-hmm. Jazz standards are great. Just something that's going to give me a physical workout for my voice. And then another thing uh, that I do, I try to practice uh, over changes. I, I try to practice like lead lines or riffs over chord changes. So, so you mean mean you would record some chord changes and no, play over I, them? Or? No, I would just be, I would be internalizing the chord changes and playing the notes without actually hearing the chord changes. So mm. I'm trying to play through the changes without anybody else actually playing them. Mm-hmm. And maybe every once in a while, like I'll reference the bass note and then I'll go to the next chord. To me, that's pure practice. It's sort of mathematical. It's mm-hmm. like, well, what notes work here? What what work there? So that's a little more like, I I don't stand in front of the mirror and, and do that. Because right. you don't want to see the grimace on my face. <laughs> it ain't pretty. Yeah, right. <laughs> Well, I kind of, I, I, as you're describing that, I kind of do that too. Yeah, yeah. Actually. I mean, I totally hear that in your playing because you're so good at playing over and in and out of changes. Well, I, I tend to um, solo through a chord mm. rather than 
just scales? Yes, yeah. yeah. Uh, is that is, is yeah, sort yeah, of similar? Yeah, similar. I'm I'm more of a of a chord tone yeah. player than a scale player. Yeah. And and so yeah, it's trying to find the interconnecting. Uh, it's really cool. Yeah. It's really cool to to yeah. to yeah to sort of think about. Well, here I am, you know, in this D form playing in the G position. How do I get to the yes. four chord? Yes, or where, yeah, how do yeah. I get to the? How does it go? Because they're all right there. Yeah, on, that's what's amazing. It's like it's it's more visual on the piano. Yeah, uh, yeah. or or easier to see. Yes, absolutely. Um, but it's fun. Yeah, it fun is. It is fun, and I think that that comes to an interesting uh, point. There is that guitar. There's that mysterious element because it. You know, the piano, it's all laid out in a mm-hmm. line, and I, I feel like I can kind of visualize that, even though I can't play the piano. I can see what it is, but in, but with guitar, it kind of goes underground really quickly. Right. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> where am I? Yeah, where am I? And so these, these, this sort of focus practicing, which I do, like once, once the tour is going and I'm comfortable with my repertoire, that's the kind of practicing that I'll do then. And I may even play through my repertoire but I'll just be playing changes just mm-hmm. to try to figure out what's in between and how does it work. Um, it's fun to reharmonize things, which I know that you do as well. You can sort of, you can change the chords ever so slightly mm-hmm. and think, oh, that's cool how that mm-hmm. works. I don't know why it works, but it's worked. But it does know? work, right. Yeah. Right. And figuring out one fingering of a chord could be a couple of different chords depending on yes. where, what you're doing. Yes, right. Yeah. right. That's, that's oh. fascinating. And it is fascinating. And, you know, the great thing about it is that fascination with that doesn't go away. I'm, I'm more fascinated now than I was right. 20 years ago. Right, that's how you know you're a lifer. Yeah, yeah. When it, when it stays interesting. And, and I thought maybe 20 years ago, I was maybe approaching the approach right. of understanding, <laughs> and now I know I'm nowhere near it. Right, <laughs> so right. So it's, fa- it's fabulous. Uh, so I'm writing the, a book about these pro tips, yeah. you know, and, and just listing the tips and then elaborating on yeah. them. And one of them is exactly that, one of the explanations. It's the more you know, the more you know you don't know. And so if students or, or people say, it must feel so good to have arrived, yeah. essentially. Yeah. It's like, you, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nowhere. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Arrived where? Yeah, right. <laughs> where are we? <laughs> right. It's very, it's humbling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I think that's a good, that's a good thing, though. I, I know... Many of your guests and people who will have commented to you about things will have mentioned that other pro tip, which is be nice on the way up. Because <laughs> uh, all of us have seen, I mean, we have, we've been at it long enough where we've seen people go up and then they come down. Yes, they that's, do. Because that's the nature of, of life. That's kind of, that's science, right. isn't it? Right. And it's it's a little tragic when they maybe weren't nice on their way up, <laughs> and they're surprised they're not treated nice on their way down. And it's right. like just remember, you know, these are these are people. Right. These are people putting on these gigs and and volunteers, most of them. Oh, yeah. at, at, in in roots music, right. they're volunteers because they love the music. So respect that. Yeah, and no. honor that. It's important. Yeah. You know, there's a level of, uh, yeah, respect and trust. Yeah, and if you, if you breach that, people will remember. Yeah, they, they sure <laughs> do. You and I met uh, re- in recent years. You came over 
to England, mm-hmm. where I live, and we met at the Cambridge Folk Festival, mm-hmm. which is a gigantic festival uh, in Cambridge, England. My wife works at Cambridge Festival, oh, and okay. so I go there every year, whether I play there or, or, or not, and I hang out and see friends, and it's lovely. And, but I also know the staff of the festival, and they sort of know, know me. The one thing they talk about backstage... <laughs> is who were the difficult ones. <laughs> and it's because they're there trying to do their job and it's, it's been made more complex by someone maybe being a little unreasonable or maybe a little bit um, f- like forgetting where they are, that right. they're in a field right. <laughs> and that it right. may be raining and the festival has no control over that, right. you know, that these sorts of things. And, and I thought it was interesting to watch that because I think it is... It is true. People do remember that uh, when someone's maybe not been quite as generous as they could have been, right. or as thoughtful. Right. You travel a lot. Yeah. Right. You yeah. you travel all over the UK and Europe mm-hmm. and the United States, yeah. and you're you're constantly traveling. Actually, before I ask this question, I was looking at your at your, at your tour schedule, uh, and you know the names in England. The names of the towns in England never cease to amaze me. So I just wrote down a couple. Oh, go on. Uh, Belper. <laughs> yeah, it's just what it sounds like. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Uh, Letchworth. Yeah, there you go. Good one. Arbroath. 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 Yeah. And Glenfarg. <laughs> These are, just, are all good. These are great ones. <laughs> it's uh, Yeah, you could just kind of put some sounds together yes, and yes. come up with some of these yeah. names. Well, one of the things that I find <laughs> traveling there is that people love to hear, you know, these great American blues and rock songs and country songs that that name places. Right. And and I think about it and it's yeah, it's it's because their place is called Glenfarg. How do you put that in a song? Glenfarg. Right, it doesn't doesn't really roll no, off the tongue. It doesn't roll. It, like like, you know, like Phoenix or Memphis yeah, right. or, you know, right. anything. Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. Those work. <laughs> Glenfarg. <laughs> and it's a lovely place, but they're sort of doomed with this right. historic well, name. Well, they seem to have a, a sense of humor about they it. They certainly do. You know. Yeah, they, they certainly they do. They say the name of the town with a little, you yeah. know, little yeah. wink. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, but anyway, you travel a lot. This might be just a simple question, but... How do you do it? <laughs> like well, I, I have, I mean, I'm not real big on traveling at this point. Mm. I mean, I've done a lot of it, but mm. you know, I I don't really enjoy it. Mm. Uh, and there must be a part of you, you know, parts of it aren't much fun, but mm. there must be a part of you that embraces it, yeah, because you do yeah. so much. Yeah. That. Well, I love the touring. The part I don't love is I don't love being away from my family. Sure. Right? That, that's painful. And they don't like me being away from, from them. Right. Uh, but, but I do love the touring, and, and that's the basis of it. I always wanted to be, in my young fantasy life of being on the road, I wanted to be a Willie Nelson or a B.B. King, who basically they're just on the road constantly living right. out of a bus. Right. Now, the reality of that is I'm probably over over romanticizing that mm-hmm. but that's always what I want I just wanted to constantly play I just love playing and and to have your family and your your band which is your family mm-hmm. with you that's what I wanted to travel with my little world you mm-hmm. know um, but that being said that that's not the way my career developed and so I tend to do a lot of solo touring or duo touring and to me, it's a very physical thing. And uh, what I realized about 10 years ago 
was that if I wanted to continue doing this, I had to m make sure that I was doing everything I could to ensure that I was physically able to keep doing mm -hmm. it. So not that I was ever much of a smoker, but I did smoke mm -hmm. and I realized that, you know, I, I really can't really do this. This is not helping me. Um, whatever things one looks at with one's diet, but also physical health. Mm -hmm. And uh, like, I've just come off a, a couple of months where I wasn't touring very much. They were short runs. And so I knew this was my time to physically prepare myself for what's starting now. And mm -hmm. the next few months will be constant. And so I knew that I needed to be preparing much the way an athlete prepares for maybe the Olympics. Mm -hmm. you, you have to train to be ready. So I trained my voice, I trained my my hands, I trained my arms, I trained my body. And uh, when I'm done with the tour, I need to I need to chill out for a while. Right. And then I need to recover and get and you know, then I start the cycle again. Right. And I've I've found that's helped my state of mind. Whereas before when I just did it and I didn't prepare, I was pretty ragged. Man, I'm just exhausted. You yeah. Know? So yeah. so it's uh it, it it's sort of approaching it with a little more um uh, sort of active with a more active mind. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm really going to. So, do it. you are, are, there, are there concrete things that you do on the road? Like uh, you have an exercise yes, routine yes, or yes, something? Yeah. I uh, first of all, the the main thing is the voice. The main right. it's got to be the voice. And uh, uh, Patty of Tuck and Patty uh, uh, once many years ago mm -hmm. when she came to play the Iron Horse said, you know, she doesn't rave all night because you can't rave all night right. and sing. Right. And so I thought about that and I thought, you know, as much as I'd love to hang out with all these great people on the road, that literally the people the next night are not paying for me to stay out all night and then sing horribly the next night. Right. So it starts with a routine of, of trying to, I don't sleep well on the road, this is a little bit of a problem, but at least I give it a chance to, to right. happen. So right. rather than making it so it doesn't. So So that's the first thing. And there's things I do around the voice, which is, uh, hot, steamy showers that mm -hmm. are great for the voice. I actually actively exercise the voice, like gently every day. I try not to speak a lot um, when I'm in the thick of it. But also, I actually do Pilates, which has really helped helped me. It's helped my singing. It's helped my my back, my my arms, my shoulders, mm -hmm. and um, and I exercise whenever I can. And I like to either run or walk or I sometimes will go to exercise classes. You can go to the Y or go mm -hmm. to a local health club and you sometimes they'll just let you do this day membership. You pay, you know, five or ten bucks and they'll let you come in and you can have a workout and it really helps. It clears the head. It's really good because sitting in a car as much as we do or sitting on planes, it it really it sort of compresses everything right. and we need to not be compressed. Right. Right, and it's, yeah. a, it's remarkably exhausting to it sit is. in a car all day. It is, it is. And yet you're just sitting there, but it is exhausting. It is exhausting, yeah, and the exercise helps you get a little bit of that energy yeah. back. Yeah, that's right, that's right. And then, and then also <laughs> food choice. Like I right. loved how in the 50 tips you, you, you talked about eating healthfully and eating, um, I forget what. Fiber. Fiber, <laughs> just good. I think just, just eat healthfully in, yeah. in general. I've changed my diet pretty radically in the last, decade and it's it's made a huge difference yeah and uh and i and i think that uh, all those things make it possible for the traveling to continue we're just talking about 
how you prepare mm. for the gig. Yeah. Uh, and whatever that gig is, right. whether it's traveling or the show mm. or you know driving, making yeah. sure you have your GPS and all your right, coordinates right. ahead of time. All Which that stuff. is really good. Yeah. Um, but good, you you have recorded a massive amount of, <laughs> of CDs, yeah. right? So yeah. it's a, I think yeah. it's. Uh, uh, 22 of your own and yeah, uh, several. God, yeah, yeah five or six others. Yeah. So going into the studio, how, so how do you prepare for that? How do you get your head in the right place for that? Well, one of the things that that I try to do is have a clear idea of, of where I want to go with this. Or if I don't have a clear idea, be clear with myself that that's what we're doing. Right. You know, I think, I think it's really important to, mm-hmm. to kind of understand... What are your strengths? And then I ask myself, do I want to maybe try for something different or do I want to just stick with my strengths? And, and I've done both over the years and some more successfully than others. Let me, let uh, me interrupt you for a second. What makes you decide to go make a record? <laughs> um, I, I, my, How do you know it's time? Mine is so fundamentally practical. I make records to tour. Right. So I got in that practice early on that if I wanted to be out on the road playing, there had to be a new something. something. New, right. And so I would make a recording and I would tour. And then as soon as people started saying, well, we need something new if we're going to have you come back and play here again, I'd think, okay, I need to start thinking about that. Now, in those early days, and I don't know if you remember this, everybody was so greedy that, like, not us, but like the, like the industry, the media... Right. Um, were so greedy that they had like 12 months and they'd be like, well, where's the next one? Right. You'd be like, oh my gosh, I just did this one. <laughs> I'm can, still recovering. <laughs> can, can, I, can, can I have a moment? But so, so I, think, I think initially, you know, all of us kind of got on that, that sort of uh, escalator where we were just going, going, going. Right. And, and it was about one a year for, for a while. Right. And now it's much, I, I like it much nicer now because it's about two years, two right. and a half years. That feels better to me because it gives me time to also find the material, prepare the material, right. write the material, arrange the material. So as I'm getting ready to make a recording, the first thing that I need to look at is, is there enough material? Right. And it doesn't have to be mine. It can be covers. It can mm-hmm. be anything. But is there enough that is, is, is interesting? The one thing that I've done increasingly in recent years is that I demo the material a lot. Just on my laptop, just me playing through the songs. I make myself listen to it. Maybe if there's someone that you work with who you trust, I, I let them hear it and say, what do you think? Or any songs jump out at you or others maybe don't or... And um, I find that really helps in my preparation because it's almost like someone holds a mirror up to me right. and says, I like this, or this is what you sound like, or, you know. So, so that's, that really helps me get prepared. And then from a, a practical level, I mean, whether the, whether the other musicians need it or not, I write out charts. Mm-hmm. Like they may already write their own charts, right. but I do it because it helps me understand sure. the song. It's, it's horrible. And I feel really badly when I go in and the other musicians go, well, are there two bars of A there or four? And I don't know. Right. I think, I got to know. They're asking me. They're expecting me to know. Right. I am the band leader, so right. I need to have this down. And that, yeah, that kind of preparation is really helpful. Yeah. 
and it, it gives me confidence with the material too. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, that's a really good point. It gives you confidence with the material. Yeah. I mean, one of one of one, another one of these pro tips is if you're a songwriter, you should learn how to write a chart. Yeah. Like how does your song go? Yeah. Yeah, I like the way you put that. It gives you confidence yeah. to know yeah. how your song goes. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 then maybe in the studio, especially if you're working with really good musicians, they may say, you know, why don't we add a couple extra bars of this or that? Then you can write it in. You you it can change on the spot. Right. But you need to start with something that's right. framed. You know, right. how many solos are you going to take? Where are the solos? Yeah, right. Are you going to do another chorus? You know, you right. at least have to start somewhere. Right. You know, and that's. That uh, that has helped quite a bit. I don't I don't work with producers as much as I would like, and I know sometimes producers do that. They they will be in charge of that. Even when I did have producers, it was good to know what what I how the how sure. the material goes. Sure. Yeah, I had a song uh, when the siren blows again. Is the name of the song. Oh yeah. Um, and until I wrote it out. As a chart, I didn't realize there was measures of five. Yeah, in there, it's like, how cool. oh really? Yeah. yeah, I know. Isn't that how awesome? Cool. And you go, cha ching. <laughs> this is hot songwriting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I didn't know. Yeah. So, but once you know that, it makes it easier to explain to yeah, other people. Of it's like, of watch out for this. Yes, that's right. That's Chuck. right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would say the only thing that I will add that has made a big difference. And it's something I learned from from meeting stand-up comics is that you work on your banter. You work on it. Like yeah. you, you practice it. And I think that's another one of your tips. It is, yeah. Is you actually really do work, work it. And when it flops, you just have a laugh and say, I'm going to get that right next time. <laughs> you don't crash and burn. You just, you know, you just... It just work on it. Yeah. And, and, and it's not that I'm necessarily like reading from a script because I'm no good at that, but I know the kind of entry point and the, and, and the exit point, mm-hmm. when the story starts and when, it, when it's done. Mm-hmm. And I can adjust that. Like sometimes, and I'm sure you've, you've done this when you've been on live radio or television or on stages where time is so limited, you have to readjust your intros. They can't be the long, right. you know. <laughs> so you have a mini version, you have a moderate version, and you have the lazy, I've got all day version. Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and, you, you know, and I've, I've found that, for some reason, for many, many years of touring, I thought it always had to be spontaneous. It's kind of this little hippie remnant that right. was in my, my psyche. It just needs to seem spontaneous. It just needs to seem spontaneous. Right. So once again, it's something that I practice. Uh, a couple of nights ago, I played up at Passim, and I was working on this, this, I was riffing on this vibe of like introducing the song a certain way, and I completely got it wrong. It twisted it and it crashed. <laughs> and I just looked up in the audience and I looked up at the audience and said, I gotta work on this one. <laughs> and then I just went on. Yeah. Just move on. Don't yeah. you know. But that 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 was a huge uh giving myself permission to do that was a right. huge, huge thing. Well you, you made an interesting point about uh, looking to the to the world of stand up comics. Because that's I, I I do that too. Um I mean, the, yeah, really listening and kind of studying that yes, and how yeah. to tell a story because yeah. that's what stand-up comedy is, that's just right. storytelling. That's right. Um, that's right. <laughs> it's you great. Just, in, you know, in our, in our world, you don't get to swear quite as that's much right. as they that's do. Right. But, <laughs> that's right. It doesn't go over very well. It doesn't well. go over very well. <laughs> cool. Well, it, thank you very much, Brooks Williams, for, for taking the time out of your 
very, very busy schedule to come and talk to us. Well, thanks, Jim Henry. It's good to see you again, <laughs> yeah. and uh, we'll see you down the road. Yeah. Well, actually, before you go, let's. Uh, I'm hoping maybe you and I can play a song. Absolutely. That we can uh, use to go out Absolutely. with. Absolutely. Um, did you have one in mind? I did have one in mind. <laughs> do I do I know it? <laughs> I don't know, but let's find out. All right, let's find try out. It. It's called Something You Got, and it goes like this. for listening to the Pro Tips for Musicians podcast. To find out more about Brooks, visit www.brookswilliams.com. You can also find him on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you enjoyed this show, please consider becoming a supporter. Visit www.patreon.com slash jimhenry. There you'll find information on how to contribute, along with a great selection of rewards that are only available to supporters. Thanks for listening.